Hey, days like this are special. They really are. You can be seated. We want to remember all those that are streaming right now. Some of you are still in your PJs. We're taking names and numbers. We know who you are. Many, of, of course, have traveled, and so they're streaming from somewhere else. But for those of us that are in-house, it's just uh, another one of those memory-building days. And I, uh, I'm tr- I found myself going 14 different ways on what to share this morning. My uh, daughter-in-law came to me last night. She said, well, I guess I know what you're preaching on tomorrow. And really, when you think of it, um, yeah, the Christmas story has so many different ways, many different facets to talk about. So if you will allow me just one moment as we start off to be a little philosophical to bring a point out. Here we are gathered on a Christmas Day morning service, and uh, the weather is, of course, extremely cold. Can I hear an amen? And those of us that have any age at all have found ourselves either the last couple of days, last evening, gathering with whomever you gathered with. Maybe you've already gathered with family today or you, your biggest plans are yet this afternoon. We find ourselves thinking about previous Christmases, don't we? We find ourselves thinking about when we were children, what kind of gifts we received. Um, for, for many, it was very, very simple. Uh, some, some of us that's been churched a long time, we thought about all the different Christmas programming we've been a part of, the plays, the, the octavos, uh, the concerts that we've been a part of. We thought about travel. So for just one moment to be philosophical, I have an 11-year-old uh, great niece here this morning, and I get thinking about her, the world that she will know. When she thinks back to this day, what will she remember? And the age when she becomes an adult, what will still be traditions that we are embracing now? In other words, any of us with age are concerned about things that we're losing. And the only way to keep from losing them completely is to hold on to them and embrace them. Some of the things, of course, can, are not worthy to be held on to. But even as Tammy and Chris led us through Christmas carols and getting to uh, the more religious Christmas carols, Away in a Manger, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're thinking about angels. We're thinking about that nativity scene. Is it something that still strikes a chord of truth in us? Even though they're songs, and they're not thousands of years old, they are based upon a story that the Bible teaches us. Being the age that I am now, the responsibility of ministering from God's Word on a weekly basis, having decades of experience now, I look back to what I knew in younger days compared to what I know now, driving that bus, getting those flash moments with students, trying to get a pulse on what they know about the Christmas story, about religious things, it keeps me in a state of concern constantly. 
if I can even be more candid, pastor of this congregation, families that have raised their children in this house of worship, that many of those generations are no longer in church. It concerns me greatly. So today, if you will allow me, I want us to get the bigger picture that engulfs the Christmas story. It isn't just the Christmas story. It's that which started way before the Christmas story that enhances the Christmas story. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. And you can stand with me if you would just to read verses 4 and 5. Of course, this is Paul writing to several churches in a region known as Galatia, and he wanted all those different congregations to get this letter read in their houses of worship, in their homes of worship. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, and I will add daughters. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it speak deep into our spirit oh, so that we may know that we know that we know we are truly believers in your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I would give this message the title, Perfect Timing. Again, speaking of something that many of us hear about on a regular basis, some, they hear the headline, but when we hear about cancel culture, we hear about a movement of canceling things with historical significance. Again, uh, it greatly concerns us. Even to the point now of when we look beyond Georgia, when we look beyond the United States of America, when we look globally at what we're dealing with today, the absence of the preaching of God's Word is at an alarming rate. Many of us here today, those streaming as well, can say, I, I've been privileged to be raised in the house of God. I'm a product of a godly home that raised their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I talked with a student last week, and once again, this reality of, he said, Mr. Brooks, I don't have a clue what you just said. Just totally ignorant of, I was just asking about the Christmas story, if he knew anything about a Savior being born. He had no clue. Zero. I'm watching Tammy do this. She's an educator. You're seeing the same thing in the classroom, aren't you? So as I share this today, I, I trust that it, it does something for each one of us with our responsibilities, either to grandchildren, to children, to neighborhood children, whatever the case, because we've got to realize that before a work can happen right here, in our hearts, it first has to start right here. The Bible says, so as a man thinks, so he becomes. There cannot be a conversion here 
unless it first is accepted here. It's just that simple. And so when it comes to this thing called truth, do we, do we believe God has been involved in what you and I have today before us called a Holy Bible? Do we really believe God orchestrated all these different authors over 1,500 years? Do we believe that we have truth before us that we can base our lives on? So this passage that Paul has left us with, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God gave us his son. And to be born under the law. So we understand this thing called law, and again, we dismiss it a lot of times as being, quote, Gentiles, and we think, well, we're not Jews. We don't have to worry about all that. And yet we do have to worry about it because we understand the, the law factor that was really being discussed here. Paul talks later on and simply says, we have been lifted up from the law of sin and death to live under a new law, the law of the spirit of life. Every one of us were born in sin. Turn to somebody and say, yeah, that means you. Incapable of redeeming ourselves. So we needed a Savior. God knew that from the very beginning. So why this time? Why did Jesus have to be born at the time he was born there in Bethlehem? You see, because it now was complete, the religious conditions, the political conditions, the cultural conditions were ripe for him to come so that you and I would have the privilege of still be reading the story and hearing this message thousands of years later. He is uh, born under the law for our sake. Isaiah 46 and 10 is a powerful verse, and it tells us about God. And that's why I said the Christmas story is caught up in a much bigger story. It says our God is capable of declaring the end from the very beginning. And from the ancient of times, he has set forth things that aren't yet done. And then God makes the statement, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purposes upon the earth. Wow. So God knew before any of us were ever born that we would need a Savior. He knew that there would have to be a Savior of the whole world. Today as a congregation, we celebrate many different nationalities. and We come together collectively as one knowing that all of us were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and needed a Savior. God knew that beforehand and declared that I will have my purposes fulfilled. So I want us to do something for the next few minutes. If you watch much TV or Netflix or whatever, and you like uh, uh, science shows, you like Crime Stopper shows, uh, we have an organization known as the BAU. Behavior Analysis Unit. And if we take that as an example, we realize then their job is simple in that they must profile an individual to see if they fulfill 
that case that they are exploring. Is this person a true candidate of the crime we're investigating? So we must profile, because we don't have a snapshot, we don't have an eyewitness, or maybe if we do have eyewitnesses, we can't depend solely on that. Is there evidence? There's the word of the case. And so we realize as we look at Jesus, is there evidence that he is truly what the Bible says that he is? That God would give forth a son and he would become our savior. So analyzing this, we have to realize that Jesus declared that he is God. Again, we've shared in times past the struggle. Wednesday night at prayer meeting, we've shared some of this. Again, the struggle that each person in the Christmas story would have to go through. You ladies, can you imagine being pregnant and yet knowing that that child growing in your womb was not from a man but was from God? How do you explain that? How do you share that? How do you go to Walmart and share the fact that you're pregnant and God got you pregnant? What a challenge. And for Joseph to be in public and the other men come up to him and say, okay, she's not here right now. You must really be an idiot. She says she got pregnant by God. If she didn't get pregnant by you, you got to find out who that was. You see, this Christmas story isn't one that removes people from extreme scrutinizing. And here we are today, and there's a world that may look at us and say, you people are the most foolish people on the planet. You really believe this report? Do you believe that that child born in Bethlehem in a stable is the Savior of the world? That by him growing up and being hung on a tree, giving his life, sets you free from sin that you've committed and promises you eternal life? Again, as I'm, I'm pressing you today, we're in a culture now that may not have been raised in a Christian environment. Do we believe the message? And do we know how to speak the language to communicate to them truth? Or are we just, well, I've just raised this way. It's not good enough. We are in a time in which the word science is even used to a place of abuse, even though we embrace science. We're not afraid of science. When science finds truth, it always finds the Word of God, doesn't it? And yet, when you have social media declaring this, 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 and this position, now you realize why I'm doing what I'm doing today. For us to be able, of, whether you're 11 years old today or whether you're 91 years old today, do we believe the message and can we defend it? And if Jesus truly is God, then he has to be a lot of things, doesn't he? He has to be omnipresent. He has to be omniscient. He has to be omnipotent. He has to be eternal. He has to be immutable. The Word of God describes all these things, that truly He is omnipresent. Jeremiah 23, 24, I love the wording of the Old Testament. When God is speaking through the prophet, and he asks the question, the rhetorical question, can a man hide well enough so that God cannot find him? Obviously, the answer is no. You can't hide from God. 
God always knows exactly everything about us. He said, I fill the heaven and the earth. There is nowhere to hide from God. There's nowhere on this planet. If you got in a spaceship today, if Elon Musk invited you to go on the next flight through space, you'll find out that God is there. He fills the heaven and the earth. And again, the New Testament echoed it as well. And simply put it this way, and we embrace it today as worshipers. If just two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. God is, according to his word, omnipresent, but he's also omniscient. Psalms 147 and 5, great is the Lord and his understanding is beyond measure. With all the intelligence, with all the education, with all the knowledge that we can extrapolate and, and gain, we still understand that we still cannot gather all the information on God. His ways are beyond our finite thinking. Again, the New Testament comes back and supports as well. When his own disciples, Jesus' own disciples came and says, now we know that you truly do know all things. We will follow you. God also has to be omnipotent. Jesus fulfilled that. It's Jeremiah 32 and 17 again. Oh, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth. You are powerful with your outstretched arm. You have created all things. Do you believe that today? Again, this omnipotent God, it is Matthew 28 and 18 where Jesus declares himself after paying the ultimate price, said, now all authority has been given to me in the heaven and in the earth. He is omnipotent. He is also eternal. Deuteronomy 33 and 27, the eternal God is our dwelling place. So let's go another moment. John 3.16. Anybody ever read John 3.16? Again, the scoffer may come to us and say, wait a minute, your God, your Jesus can't be eternal because your own Bible contradicts itself and says, for God gave his only begotten son. The word begotten many times, yes, does mean coming from something. But you see, in this Greek, what it was saying is, God gave his unique son. How many are sons and daughters today? But we know there's one unique, the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. It is again the word of God that a scoffer may say, well, your Bible contradicts itself again when it simply says that Jesus is the firstborn. Colossians 3 and 15 again. But once again, in the original language, it is saying, to the one who has the rights of the Father. Whew. That's good stuff, folks. He is our elder brother, and all the rights have gone to him. So again, he is eternal, immutable. Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord God, and I do not change. It's the Hebrew writer in 13 and 8 it echoes it as well. Our God is the same yesterday, today, forever. Back to the philosophical thought, starting off again, if this 11-year-old, if the Lord tarries, 
Can you imagine being 31 years old, 41 years old, 61 years old? Am I scaring you yet? What will she know? And what will the culture be like? And will there still be doors open to churches on a Christmas day? Will they still preach this same story? That God for self the so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, his unique son. Again, God is immutable. He doesn't change. It isn't that God will have changed in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but there will be other things that will change. How many knows you're changing minute by minute? How many looked in the mirror this morning? You changed <laughs> since yesterday. Our God doesn't change. He's the same. The same God who doesn't change is the one from the very beginning that knew the end from that beginning. From the ancient of times, the things that he put in motion that still have not been fulfilled and yet they are in motion and all things will be accomplished according to his purpose. So again, we look for a fingerprint and I'll finish with this. Over 300 prophecies about Messiah, 48 specific prophecies about the individual who would fulfill being Messiah. We understand Genesis 28 14 said that he had to be a descendant of Jacob. Jesus fulfilled that. Micah 5 and 2, we celebrate this time of year, O little town of Bethlehem that we sing about. Actually, it says Bethlehem Ephrata is the lowest part of that city. I've had the privilege of being there several years ago. It is there. I shared this last week at Atherton in that service there. Even at the very beginning where Jesus had to be born, you see Bethlehem is the house of bread, but Ephrata is the place of the vine. It was there that even at the beginning, Jesus would fulfill at the latter part of his earthly life when he put up the bread and the wine and said, do you believe this is the bread, my body being broken for you? It was declared prophetically from his birth that a theme would follow his life, that he would have to give his body and shed his blood with us in mind. It was Micah that declared that he would be born in that little insignificant town in Bethlehem, Ephrata. Isaiah 43 and 4 said that this Messiah would have to have a forerunner. He would make the way for the Messiah, and we know that would be fulfilled through John the Baptist. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. Again, some of these passages almost take your breath when God speaks through the prophet and is at, God is asking through the prophet, what do you think I am worth to you? And they scoffed and he already gave them the answer that would be fulfilled in Jesus' earthly life when he said, we'll pay you the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 7 and 14, we celebrate this time of year, that he would be born of a virgin. 
It's a seed of woman, not seed of man. And 9 and 6 of Isaiah, and he will be known as what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus fulfilled all 48. So a little bit of math, just the 48 prophecies to be fulfilled is one to 12 trillion. 17 zeros follow that one. So again, just the mental image. How many have ever been to Texas? Texas is a little big, isn't it? If you take the state of Texas and every square inch of it is, you put a silver dollar on it, side by side by side by side, and fill that entire state with silver dollars, and you do it until the entire state is stacked up two feet deep with silver dollars, and you take one of them and mark it to be different from all the others and put it anywhere you want to and take one person and blindfold them and say, go wherever you want to go. Go to El Paso, go to, go to Dallas, go wherever you want to go and find that one. That would be what it took for someone to fulfill all these prophecies. Wow. Amazing. Stand with me today.